Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm going to continue our series called Parenting Advice. Our, our goal is really to help you raise your, children, raise your children to be Christians, to really to think and to love and to live like Christ. And in this series, uh, there is all sorts of wisdom that uh, will apply to all of your lives. If you're a grandparent, if you're a new parent, if you've got kids in teenage years, and if you're just a son or daughter, even if you don't have kids, you're going to learn about how God educates us, how he teaches us, because that's where we learn how to parent our kids from God's example and his commands. So there's, there's really uh, something for everybody to apply and to understand because all of this is coming from God's word. So today our focus is instruction. What exactly do we teach our kids? When do we teach our kids? How do we teach our kids? Why do I have to teach the kids to grow up and be Christians? Isn't that the job of the church or the pastor? Or maybe we should just send them off to some experts. And we're going to focus on a passage that answers all these questions. And that's when God speaks to his people at um, the foot of the promised land. He has led them through the wilderness for 40 years. That generation died. Their kids are all ready to go. They're about to go into the land and conquer. And before he sends them in, he reads them his law again. And at the beginning, Moses reads a passage about what their responsibilities as parents are to their children, what they're supposed to teach them, when they're supposed to teach them, how they're supposed to teach them, and why they're supposed to teach them. That's the focus of our message today. So I'm going to read through this passage, and we're going to spend the rest of the message answering those questions, and I think it's going to be very helpful to you. So pray with me as we get started. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to understand what you have said, what we are to believe, how we're to live, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read you from Deuteronomy 6, verse 1 to 15. Now this is the commandment, the statue, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God and you and your sons and your sons' sons by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them, talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Don't forget. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, and he's a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Now in this passage, this large passage, we are taught 
everything in principle that we need to know about how to train up our children in the fear and admission of the Lord. The Lord teaches us what we're to teach. He teaches us when we're to teach. He teaches us how to teach. And he teaches us why we teach. In this passage, which is all about instruction, we see some amazing things. First of all, we see in the very beginning that this is directed to the whole congregation. It's not just me and my kids or my little private life, but the whole congregation of Israel is called to train all the kids up to do this. This is a communal effort that we're doing together as God's people, as a church. This is why you plug into a church, so that you can benefit from these network effects. He also clearly explains what the goal is. The goal is that they were able to live it out and obey it. It's not learnt until the kids are doing it, until what they believe is coming out their fingertips and their toes in the way that they live. God intends for the instruction to go in our ears and our eyes so that it's in our minds, for it to go down into our hearts so that it comes out our fingers and it comes out our toes. That's what God wants. That's what he's looking for. And at the end of this passage, we see the context that we're in. We're living in a spiritual war zone. These people are going into a pagan land. This is, just, this is a place full of spiritual kidnappers who want to take their kids and teach them to worship rival gods. And God is saying, don't let them do that. Do not give your kids to pagans. And today, we live in the same world. We live in a hostile, anti-Christian culture that wants to steal your kids and teach them to worship other gods. So don't give your kids to the Romans. Don't give your kids to Caesar. These are big stakes. This is a tough job. Raising kids to think and live and love Christianly, that's a lot of work. And this is primarily the responsibility of fathers. This is what God tells us in the New Testament. In Ephesians 6, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Literally, pour into them a Christian culture. Teach and instruct and correct and rebuke and, and model and explain and create an environment in which they grow up so that in every way they live Christianly. Now, that's, that's a big task. And it'd be daunting for anyone but we have to hold on to God's promises because God has made throughout the scriptures great promises to us as parents. And we hold fast to these promises. Some of these promises I'm going to read to you right now have really encouraged me when I felt incompetent, when I felt like a failure, when I felt and I feel like I should quit. For example, you may hear some of the things that we're going to be looking at today in this message and think, I don't know how to do this. I don't have the strength. I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I want to remind you of God's promise to you. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. The most amazing father in the world is with you and will help you. I will help you, strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is promising to strengthen you when you're weak, to help you when you need help, and to uphold or sustain you as you're parenting your kids up to adulthood. That's a great promise. Hold on to that. You may be thinking, yeah, but what about the future? What about, what about the world my kids moving in? What if, what if it's all in vain? But the Lord makes promises to us, beautiful promises, as we walk with him in faith, as we fulfill our part of the covenant. And notice what he says in Psalm 103. He says, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to the children's children. He's making a promise to your children's children. To such as keep his covenant and those who remember his commandments to do them. The Lord is saying that if you keep your part of the covenant, I will be faithful to you and your children's children. I, I intend to save not just you, but generations to come. Now, our part of the covenant is to walk in faith. And we're going to talk about what that looks like today. 
Now, to the kids that are watching this video, God has made incredible promises to you. But the primary command of children is obey and honor your parents. Because when you do that, you will live long in the land. You'll be blessed. Your parents' instruction, according to the Proverbs, is more valuable than gold. It's more precious than silver. In Proverbs, it says, listening to your parents' instruction is your life. Your quality of life, your happiness in life, your length of life is something tied to the instruction of your parents. So, be good sons and daughters and obey. So, having read that passage, the question on all of our minds is, what do I instruct my kids in? What do I teach them? So, we're going to summarize the text and uh, point out what God has said. There are four things that we teach our kids. We teach them God's word. We teach them the lifestyle of a Christian. We teach them the stories of Christians. And we teach them the symbols and traditions of Christians. That's the content. That's what we're supposed to teach them. That's what you see in this passage. For example, in verses 1, 2, and 6, we see that God's word, his commands, his teaching, is what they are to teach repeatedly to their children. It's what we are to believe. We teach our kids what we believe. And what we believe is God's word. In verses 3 and 7, we see that they are to teach their children how to obey, the lifestyle of a Christian, how to live, how to put the teaching that we believe into practice, into everyday life. That's the role, that's the, the content of our teaching. In verses 10 and 12, we see that we're supposed to teach them our stories, Christian stories. God mentions the Israelites coming out of Egypt. He talks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Throughout the Bible, God is constantly telling stories and calling them back to the stories of their people. Stories tell us who we are, who our people are, who the heroes are and the villains are. They tell us what character we are in the story of life that God is writing. Stories teach us how to read situations and respond in faith. Stories inspire us and encourage us and they give us strength. And we are supposed to be a storytelling people. God is a storytelling God. And so we see that is another thing we're to teach our kids. Our stories. The people of God, the Christian stories, the stories of our particular family and how God has been good to us and what God has said to us. Stories of our triumphs and failures as people individually. I was just telling my kid, my youngest son, on a date that we went on today, the story of my athletic um, practice schedule when I was a kid, just how many times I went to practice a day and how crazy my schedule was trying to get to two practices a day. And he remembered everything. We got home and he started telling his older brother and he remembered the temperature of the pool. Kids love stories. And the fourth thing we teach our kids is signs and symbols and traditions. In verse eight and nine, the Lord says to write them as frontlets on their hands and put them on their heads. If you've ever seen Orthodox Jews, they have boxes on their heads and they have strips on their hands. And the scriptures are written on these leather strips on their hands and the box has verses inside of it. And these are symbolic to remind them of what God has said. And traditions are reenactments of our beliefs and our commitments and our history. That's what traditions or customs are. And so these are four things that God shows us in this passage. He wants us to teach our kids. What do we instruct them in? What we believe, God's word. We instruct them in how to live it out, our lifestyle. We teach them our stories as Christians, and we fill their lives with symbols and traditions that reinforce and reenact who God is, what he has said, and what he has done. This is the content of our teaching. In this passage, we also see when, when we're supposed to teach. He says we're supposed to teach them when we sit in the house, walk along the way, lie down, rise up. And in this passage, we also see not only when and what to teach, but why. Why do I have to teach these kids? It's a lot of work. Because in verse 3 and 5, and verses 12 through 15, 
we see that the kids are his. The reason why we teach them to love the Lord and to do everything Christianly is they belong to him. They're not mine. My children are not mine. They're the Lord's. And he saved us out of Egypt, out of slavery, from the true Pharaoh, Satan, from the true slavery, sin and death. And because I love him and I want to love him with all my heart, mind, soul and strength. And he's telling me this is how you do it. You pass on your Christian faith and way of life to your children. This is why we do it. And he promises wonderful things to the kids. If the kids learn to walk with the Lord when they become adults, if you're here and you're in your teens or maybe your early 20s and you're actually learning to walk in faith with God, then guess what? God is promising you blessing to make you fruitful, to multiply you, to make your life a life of milk and honey, and to remove from your life judgment. These are all wonderful things we want our kids to have, but they only receive those things by faith as they walk with the Lord. So that's why we teach this. This is all in this passage, this one passage. And so for the rest of the message, I'd like to double-click on each of those questions. I'd like to double-click on the question, what do I teach them? And really get into more detail so that you can see in such a way that you can start to try some of these things or do them even more. So let's start with uh, what do I teach? The the big summary is we're 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 trying to teach our kids to think and love and live Christianly. We want them to think like the Lord. We want them to love things like the Lord does in the order that he loves them. And we want them to live like the Lord Jesus. So it's to love and live and think Christianly in everything. We want to give our kids a whole life and worldview, not just a way of thinking, not just information, not just facts and beliefs, and they can all answer the right questions, but a life way. And so I want you to imagine a wheel with Christ at the center, and four spokes coming off of it. This wheel represents the content or what we should teach our kids. I got this from N.T. Wright, who's a a British theologian and uh, pastor, and his diagram was a little bit different. It was a little bit more technical, and I changed it so it's a little more useful to me. This isn't, you know, this doesn't come out of Deuteronomy, but it's a diagram that will help you make sense of what Deuteronomy says. So at the center is the axle. It's our love for Christ. It's our faith in Christ. It's his love for us. It's his grace. If I, as a man, don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, a real, honest-to-goodness, personal relationship with Christ, where his desires and his ideas and emotions and his grace is flowing in my life and changing me, I'm not going to have any success educating my kids. And if my kids do not know the Lord and love the Lord, no matter how much I try to teach them, they're still going to be resistant and they're not going to grow up to be Christians. And so one of the most important things, the most important thing, is our relationship with the Lord, our love for him, his love for us, His grace to us, our obedience and faith in him, that's at the core. That's the most important thing. So we want to teach our kids what they must do to be saved. We want to bring our kids to a point where they have faith in Christ. Now assume that your children have that and you have that. What do you teach them? Well, the first axle or the first spoke um, is God's word. So again, in verse 1, 2, and 6, throughout the scriptures, it's teach the commands, teach the precepts, teach his word, teach people what they are to believe. Teach them the truth. Teach them the the doctrine. And that's something we teach our kids. We teach our kids what to believe, what the beliefs of our faith are in every area of life. This is propositional thinking. This is what God commands. Right? This is why we teach our kids to read. Because God wrote a book and he wants them to read that book. There's all sorts of things to teach kids about who God is, about who we are, how this world works. There are big categories like man, God, creation, uh, Sin, salvation, faith, the cross, the future, the past, how do we glorify God? Every culture has questions and answers that they teach people to train them 
on what to think, what to believe. And this is a very important part of their education. There are no neutral facts. This is important to understand. All facts must be taught as Christians, must be taught in their relationship to God. There, there is no neutral facts. Everything that God talks about, everything that God speaks of in the scriptures, we want to teach our kids to understand it biblically. So what does the Bible say about creation? History, math, science, economics. In the case of economics, it's very simple. The fundamental biblical teaching on economics is do not steal. It's in the Ten Commandments. And if man believed what God says about economics, do not steal, okay, 99% of our economic problems would be gone. No more debasing of our currency and inflation, right? No more foreign wars to try to steal people's oil or colonization in the 17 and 1800s, right? You wouldn't have the smash and grabs in Target. You wouldn't have to spend so much money on the cost because people stop stealing from one another, right? You wouldn't have massive taxation, which is basically government theft. All of these problems would evaporate if we really believed what God has said about economics, which is do not steal. Now, that's not all he said, but that's just one beautiful little verse. And so as our kids learn to think about all these things Christianly, as they learn the relationship between every fact and every truth and every body of knowledge, its relationship to God, they're beginning to see things the way God sees them. They're beginning to see Christianly. We also want to teach our kids what the Bible says about all the major topics that they're going to be dealing with over and over again. So do your kids know what to believe about goals in life, what are valid and not, what the right definition of success is, right? Or what about attitudes? Do your kids know what an attitude is, what God says about attitudes, what he says it is, how it works, what attitudes you should have, what attitudes you should not have, right? Or do your kids know what the Bible says about authority, how to use it, how to follow it, even if it's a bad leader? Would your kids know how, what the different kinds of people are in the world? There are different types of people. How do you relate to people? What are the, what are the ways that we relate to people? And then what does the Bible say about work and words and money and trouble, justice, nature, dating, clothing, sickness? I mean, I can just lift off, list off topics. We want to teach our kids what God's word says about every area of life so that they know and they can say what we believe. But that's not enough. Just knowing and saying is not enough. It's not just a, a test that you get the right answer on a piece of paper. But you have to learn how to do what you believe. That's lifestyle. That's the second spoke. So in verses 3 and 7, we see that God is telling them, teach them how to do it. This is all about how you conduct yourself. This is the nitty-gritty. This is, the, this is where you teach your kids how to live their lives. How do they greet people? How do they answer the phone? How do they eat dinner? How do they get dressed? How do they express themselves? How do they pray? When do they pray? What do they pray? How do they work? And when do you rest? And how do you rest? And what do you do in this situation? And what would be appropriate here? Right? You teach your kids how to go to the grocery store and not flip out if they don't get something they want. How to drive. Right? How to pump gas. Eventually how to pay their taxes. How to do mathematics. And you teach them how to endure hardship like a Christian. You teach them how to ask for forgiveness and clear up a relationship when they have wronged somebody. You teach them how to look at situations and find ways to be kind and useful to other people. And you're showing them how to do everything they believe as a Christian. That's the second spoke. The third spoke you see in this passage that God wants you to teach your kids is stories. Stories are powerful in shaping people. They are the way that we find out who our people are. Right? We tell stories of our people. Right? This world is full of stories. Stories inspire me and they warn me and they explain to me. 
They tell me what my relationship is to others, what relationship to God is, who the heroes and the villains are, who my enemies are. Stories tell me what I should do. And so as Christians, we want our kids to be saturated in stories about our great God and our people. So there's Bible stories that that we want to be reading to our children regularly, systematically, so that they remember these stories in every detail. And then there's, of course, stories of our people, Christian history. You have, like, the apostles. You have, you know, uh, Robert Mueller, uh, William Wilberforce, John Knox, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Brother Yoon, uh, Corey Ten Boone. I mean, there's so many wonderful stories about our people going through crazy things, trusting God and him coming through. And we want to tell those stories. There are fictional stories like The Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia. And these stories capture the imagination of children, and they help them to see the world in a different way. They illustrate through the lives of the characters how you are to respond to different situations. And so we like to show movies in my family. I like to pick certain films to play for my boys. There's storytelling through reading. There's storytelling through watching. There's storytelling through singing. But we want to immerse our kids in stories of our people and our God, our family. My grandma, for example, my nana, She grew up in the Philippines. This is a picture of her. And uh, she used to tell stories about her life as a Philippines. But one of the most um, striking stories was that she saved a bunch of people in her village. Because in World War II, the Japanese came in and they burned her village. And she had to escape into the jungle. And she took a bunch of elderly people and basically kept them alive for several weeks. She even dressed up in a disguise to go to a local city to get medicine. So she could keep them alive. So you could never complain around grandma because that story was always there, right? If you're like grumbling because it was like you're bored or you didn't like the lunch you had. And she's like, what's wrong? You're like, I'm bored. She's like, oh, I know what that's like. It's, it's hard, right? It reminds me of the time that the Japanese burned my village to the ground. Oh, wait. No, it doesn't. You know, my Nana didn't tolerate a lot of grumbling because she had gone through hard things. And she could always tell you a story about how hard it was for her. But she was still happy. And so stories teach us the rules. They teach us what's normal, what's expected, what our duties and obligations are. They teach us our possibilities. I mean, if you have a grandma like that who did something like that, that means that, you know, maybe you could do that too. Your history is so important. And so we tell our stories in our own personal family of what God has done, what he has said, and we memorialize that in the form of stories. The fourth spoke is symbols and uh, traditions and customs. These are really powerful. Um, These are powerful tools that remind us, remind us of things that we want to be remember. Um, And these are traditions, in particular customs. They are reenactments that um, reenact our beliefs and our commitments and our history or story. That's why we do them. And so in this passage, we see that that the Lord orders or directs the, the men to put the word of God on their head and to put it on their hand and to write it on their door as symbols to remind them of what he said. And we want to use that to help our kids because there are things that remind us of what we believe and what's happened in past experiences. And we want to leverage that powerful tool to keep calling before our kids their faith in God. I don't know if you've ever had a smell or maybe a a meal or even a place where when you smell it or taste it or go there, it just brings you right back, you know, to when you were a kid. And that's the power of symbol and tradition. For example, have you ever seen the film Ratatouille? It's kind of a fun one. This uh, angry 
food critic in France, goes to a restaurant to shut it down. He's waiting to write just a horrible review, and they bring him this peasant dish called ratatouille. It turns out that when he was a little boy and he would scrape his elbow or have a bad day, his mama would make him ratatouille. And this grumpy little boy would be happy again. And now he's an old man and he's real grumpy and he's real cold-hearted and he sits down to destroy this restaurant's reputation and they bring him out this childhood dish. That bite brought him all the way back to his childhood. And that's what symbols do for us. They're like hyperlinks that click back to something else. They remind us. And so we want to use symbols and we want to use traditions to reinforce our faith, our beliefs, and our lifestyle. And you see these all over cultures. I mean, every culture has traditions and symbols, of course. Our culture does as well. Like we have wedding rings and we have flags and statues. In 2020, the mask and the MAGA hat, those were powerful symbols that had political meaning. You have symbols of patriotism, like fireworks on the 4th of July. Why are we doing that? Or the Pledge of Allegiance or standing and removing your hat for the national anthem. Why do we do that? Because it is a, it is a reenactment of what we believe and what we value. Right? That's what it is. It's, it's shaping us as a people. We have Christmas trees and nativity scenes, Easter eggs. Why do we give flowers and candy on Valentine's Day? Because that's a day set apart to remember those we love and to express our affection to them. And so we have all these symbols and all these traditions and all these things we do that reenact or provide a cultural custom to go through the motions to reinforce and remind us of what really what we really value. I mean, at, at its best, that's what Valentine's Day is. There's traditions in a culture, like the music we listen to. You go to a football game, you hear, we will rock you. Or you go to a wedding and you hear the bridal chorus. And when you hear that, everybody stands up because that's the tradition. Or maybe you go to a wedding, or I'm sorry, a funeral, and everybody's wearing black. And then, of course, there are religious symbols that we see. In Christianity, the cross... The rainbow, it reminds God that he will never again destroy the world in the flood. It reminds us that he will never again destroy the world in the flood. There's the lamb. There's the dove. Those are symbols. And we have traditions like gathering on Sunday or our baptism, which is a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Or the Lord's Supper, which is the symbol of his body being broken, his blood being poured out. These are powerful, right? We have traditions like our our Sunday morning worship order. You know what we're going to be doing every Sunday because we follow in order, right? Or the Sabbath. The Lord says, work six days, rest one day. Why? So that you remember that on the seventh day, the Lord rested. So since God has called us to teach our kids through symbols and, and traditions, the question to ask yourself is, how do you enact and reenact your commitments and your beliefs and your stories? What symbols can you use in your home to remind you of who God is and what he said and what he's done for you? Because that's our heritage. These four things are our heritage. What we believe, how we live, our stories, and our symbols and traditions, you put that in a jar, that is the heritage you're passing on to your kids. And you can do it on purpose or you can do it on accident, but God wants us to do it on purpose. This is why or what we teach them. Now that brings us to the next question, which is when? When do we teach them? And, and for this, God is pretty clear in Deuteronomy 6, 7 in the passage. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Four different times, four different regular times, daily times that are happening every single day, 
which God wants you to use to teach. To teach what? What we believe, how we live, our stories, our symbols and traditions. This is when he wants you to do it. So this is a chart I got from another pastor several years ago in a book that he wrote, trying to make sense of this timing thing in our modern context. And, you know, I found this helpful. So uh, I think it's, it's worth uh, considering. This is parenting advice. After all, this series is called Parenting Advice. So what, what exactly does God mean by sitting in your house? Well, it's like mealtimes, breakfast, lunch, dinner, when you're gathered around the table and when you're sitting in the living room. It's a formal time for discussion where you're actually teaching them what God says. You could read a verse. You could read a story. You could teach them what a certain word, a sin word is. You could talk about the gospel. Uh, you could read them through uh, a book in the New Testament. You could simply um, ask them how their day was going and, and, and instruct them in that. But it's a formal discussion time where you're teaching. That's the role you, you're putting on. And your goal is to instruct, to put into their mind what God has said. Right? Or to put into their mind how we live it out. Or to put into their mind our stories. Or to put in their mind our images, our symbols. Right? The things that we, that we have. Now, the next one is walk by the way. When do I teach these things? When I'm walking by the way. That's like drive time. You know, you're in the van a lot. You're driving around a lot. You're walking around a lot. You're sitting at the dentist office. When you're out in the way, this is a great time for informal dialogue. The role you play as a friend. And the goal is to interpret life, to draw them out, to find out what's going on in their lives, what their goals are, what they're experiencing, what they're thinking, and help them make sense of it from God's point of view. Help them see the way God sees. Help them understand what God loves so that they can live the way God likes. That's what you're doing in these situations. The content is what we believe, God's word, his teaching on every area of life. The content is learning how to put it into practice. The content are the stories of what God has said, what God has done, and how we put it into practice. That's the content. But when we do it is when we're at the house, when we're walking along the way, when we lie down. That's bedtime. And kids don't like to go to bed, especially little ones. And so it's, it's great because they're willing to sit there and, and snuggle and talk. Uh, the, the goal here is intimate conversation. You want to find out what's on their heart. You want to share with them your heart, your love for them, your like for them. Your goal is to be a counselor. That's the role you have. And the goal is to build intimacy. You get in the bed. Maybe you read a little story that's short. You talk. You giggle. You let them talk about their day. Let them ask questions. You ask them questions. I've I picked up questions over the years that are, are more intimate heart questions. Some of the questions that I'll ask are, is there anything that you want to tell me that you lately but you just don't know how? Or um, have you been hurt by anybody lately? Has anybody hurt you lately and, and, and you're still, you know, it still hurts? Because that's about relationships and clearing them up. Is there anything you have, a goal, something you really hope for, or looking forward to, or you want that, uh, that you'd like me to know about? And that's just about what they're, they're after and they desire. Maybe you talk about the day, you talk about tomorrow, you just snuggle and make, you know, funny, funny sounds. But what it is is this time of intimacy. And then there's the morning when you rise up, the morning time. This is a time for encouraging your kids. Coaching them, instilling purpose, telling them why are we going to school and why are we going to work and why do we get dressed and brush our teeth and why do we have to be at the dinner table at 730 and why do we do things this way and why do I have to, you know, write out the problem in my math and, and why are we doing this tonight with these people and why is this the problem? We're explaining why and what the day is going to hold and we're encouraging them and we're telling them we believe in them and they can do it and we're, 
we're giving them purpose as we encourage them to go out in the day. And what we're teaching them, again, is what God says, how we're to live it out, stories of God saying it and us living it out, and symbols and traditions that will help remember and reenact what God has said, what he has done, and how we live it out. This is when we teach. Now, there's the regular rhythms of life, which is when you wake up, when you go to bed, when you go along the way, and when you're at home. You want to have a regular frequency of instructing your kids. Okay, There should be no problem with that. As parents, that should be a normal part of the relationship. The kids should expect that to happen. Kids, you should obey mom and dad when they do that. It shouldn't be grumbling or complaining or refusing to listen. But understand that God is teaching you through your parents. That's the key. <clears throat> Predictable times of diligent teaching. But there are also these kind of special moments, these teachable moments where God brings. And they're like flashing lights saying, this is a great time to teach from God. And oftentimes as parents, we try to rescue our kids and, and save them from these moments. But instead of rescuing them, we need to redeem, redeem these moments. So here are some examples, painful things, pressures in their life, problems that they're facing, plans that are failing or plans they can't seem to pull together or plans they want to have. And they're really interested in listening to you explain how to get those plans in a good way. Or maybe people. There's people they're having a hard time with. Whenever these things start to bubble up in their lives, these are flashing lights where the Lord is saying, this is a moment to instruct them. And what should you instruct them? What does God say about this area of life? What should they believe? Right? What should they put their faith in? <clears throat> how? How do they live that out practically? And then stories about when you experience what they're experiencing. And God said this and he was faithful to you. Right? Or someone else. And then symbols and experiences and, and things that have life and feel and smell and touch that will help remember and remind them. Right? So... This is the kind of thing that, um, that happens regularly, but you, you want to be ready for it. And then finally, the last, the last piece of advice for when do I teach them is cut with the grain. Kids, they grow and mature in kind of a, a predictable uh, way. When they're little bitties, like you know, infants to, pre, to, to, to elementary school, they're all about what? What do I do? What do I say? What is it that we have to do? They're great at memorization and imitation and role play. They love to do symbols and stories and songs. They, they, they like to know facts. They like to know details. They like to know the what's about life. They're not good at anything. They don't know how to do it. They're not good at how to brush their teeth. They're not good at, you know, they're not good at eating. But they, they, know, they know generally what to do. Then when they get to the middle school years, they, they're all about why. They're argumentative. They want to know why do we have to do this. And they, they want to know why, how things work, how things tick. Why? And so we want to lean in and we want to teach them why what God says about why. And then when they get to their older years in high school, now it's all about how. They want to know how to do it well. They know what God says, and they know why we're supposed to do it and why things happen. But now they want to learn how to comport themselves well, how to do these things well, how to communicate well, how to dress well, how to relate well, how to work well, how to be an adult well. And this is cutting with the grain. When you know this is the natural progression of kids, then the, the way that you instruct them, it adjusts. The last one is, um, how do I teach them? And for how do I teach them, I have just two, two points. The first is diligently. The Bible says that God is going to grow up your kids, that he's going to work in them, that he's going to protect them, that he's going to raise them and mature them and bless them. As you parent in faith, 
But faith means diligent parenting. And in the process, in this passage, we see it says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. If you're the kind of person that says, ah, this is too complicated. I don't need to do that. You know, that's not a big deal. My parents didn't do that. Then what you're really saying is God's going to do it all. I don't have to do anything. That's not faith. That's presumption. That's arrogance. And you will not inherit those promises because you're not, you're not doing your part. Your part is in faith to receive it, but you're not receiving it in faith because you're not being diligent. And on the other side, the other ditch, it's, well, I've got to make sure I don't screw this up and I've got to make sure that I'm, I'm doing it all good because it depends on me. It's all about me. And that's also not faith. You do your best, but you don't trust in your best. You have to parent in faith. And in this case, that means diligence. And what is diligence in the Bible? It's P-E-T. P-E-T. Persistence, energetic, and thorough. God has told you to diligently teach your children. That means you're persistent. You don't quit. You don't give up. You don't get upset. You don't say, well, they're junior high school kids now and they kind of have attitudes, so I'm just going to let them do what they want. Or, well, they're, they're in high school or they're just, they're out of high school and it's, it's their life now and I'm done. Right? that's not persistent. You're not persisting. You need to persist. That's diligence and that's faith. God says, do you trust me? You say, yes. He says, great, obey me. You're like, great, what do I do? He's like, diligently teach them. You're like, okay, what's that mean? He's like, be persistent. You're like, yeah, but I'm kind of done now. That's not faith. And you can't look forward to the promises of God if you do not exercise faith. It's by faith that we stand. It's by faith that we live. The righteous will live by faith. We inherit it by faith. It's all by faith. And faith looks like diligent parenting when it comes to these promises. So you're persistent. You're energetic. You give it your best for as long as it takes. And when you run down to nothing, to to empty, you keep going because he will strengthen you and help you and uphold you with his righteous right hand. Persistent, energetic, and thorough. That means you do it all the way. You push it all the way into every, every crack and corner. You're constantly instructing and teaching and modeling and storytelling. And you're just, you're thorough. You're working through things systematically, step by step. And you do your best. And as you do that diligently, you are parenting in faith. And then you can look forward to the faithfulness of God to bless you. You won't fall into one of those two ditches. The second thing we want to do, how do I teach them all these things? I know when, I know what, but how? I mean, how do I do it is show them how. This is really important. Show them how. In the same passage, it says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. First, I have to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Then I can show my son how. First, I have to remove the plank from my eye. Then I can remove the speck from his eye. I can't pass on what I don't have. I can't teach what I don't know. And so, if I want my children to honor and obey me as their father, to honor and obey their mother, I need to show them how, in the way that I honor and obey my leaders. If I want my kids to be humble and teachable, then I need to show them how, in the way that I open my life up for advice, and um, where I put myself last, and where I let other people go first, I need to explain what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. This is how I am humble. This is how I humble myself because God says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. That's in 1 Peter chapter 5. And so I tell them what I believe because of God's word. I show them what it looks like in this case, my lifestyle. I tell them a story about how I humbled myself and God exalted me. And I even tell them a story about when I exalted myself and God humbled me. I have a cut on my eye right here. It was a punishment from the Lord. Split my eye open, blood all over my face, 
because just moments before I had exalted myself in just incredibly stupid pride. And then God, he gave me a symbol that I will not forget. That's a symbol. And that's powerful. That begins to shape my kids. So I have to show them how. If I want them to be quick to confess and forgive, I show them how. If I want them to be punctual, patient, to value people, not quick to judge, show them how. This is how you teach your children. You show them how. So what do we teach them? What do we teach them? We teach them what we believe through God's word, how to live it out in our lifestyles. We teach them our stories and we teach them our symbols and our traditions. When do we teach them? When we get up and when we lie down, when we sit in the house and when we go along the way, when there are teachable moments that we take advantage of, how do we teach them? We show them how and we teach them diligently. And when we do these things, this is training and instructing our kids in the way of the Lord. This is how they come to see as God sees and love what God loves and live the way God likes. And then they get the blessing. The blessing is a fruitful life. The blessing is lands of milk and honey. The blessing is the favor of the Lord. The blessing is removal of the wrath of God. So I think there's things that you could apply. Let's look at some next steps. Your next step today could be that I'm going to work on when I teach my kids. I realize I don't have regular rhythm. Or maybe it's I'm going to work on what I teach my kids. Or maybe you're going to work on how you teach your kids. You want to show them how or you need to be a little more diligent, a little more persistent, energetic, and thorough. And if you're, if you're a son or daughter here, I want to encourage you to answer this question. I am going to obey and honor my mother or father this week by, because in that is my life. In that is the promise for a future that I want. Don't be discouraged by the, the task of parenting. All of us will be given grace by God. He doesn't take us where we should be. He takes us where we are. Some of us are Abrahams like me. They're the first in their faith as the men. Uh, to follow Christ. Others are Jacobs. They have a heritage of Christian parents and grandparents and they know how to do more stuff. It doesn't matter where you start. God will help you. It's not that you have to be the perfect person to get the blessing of God. You have to parent in faith. And so you do it in faith with hope in God. He's going to take care of you. He's made good promises to you. It's a joy. It's a get to, not a have to. So trust God who will help you parent, who will teach you how to do it step by step. And then give that your best effort teaching them what he wants them to know, when he wants them to know it, and how he wants them to know it. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you help us to be diligent parents and to apply it to our lives where we need this week. In Jesus' name, amen.